I'd like you to stand. Um, we're going to read some Bible here. If everybody's up for it, and I don't really care if you are or not, we're going to read some Bible regardless, because that's what we came here to do. We are going to be in the book of Acts, and we're going to be reading from the first chapter of Acts. You will probably remember, it was just a few weeks ago, that we were also reading from Acts chapter 1. Um, we're actually going to start at the very beginning this morning and read through to Acts chapter 1, verse 11. So the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. And as I just said, I'd like you to stand in reverence to the Word of God. Let's read together. It says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while he was looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Please be seated. It is the the first Sunday after revival services. And it is my hope and prayer that you were able to attend our services, maybe at least a few of them over the past week. And even more so, I hope and pray that these special nights of worship and of fellowship and of getting into the word together has had some sort of impact on your walk with Christ. When we think about what the goal of revival may be, when we think about what the goal of revival may be, it is not just for entertainment purposes. Our goal is not just so that we can um, gather together and, and hear some good music. It's not just for us to kind of do things out of the norm. It is really not even just for just publicity for the church that we can like say, hey, look at us, we're doing revival. Let's put an article in the in in Kentucky today or in the local newspaper. On the contrary, when we talk about revival, and we think about what the purpose of our revival services is. It is about renewing and reviving our love for God, our passion for Him, and allowing His renewed passion, or excuse me, this renewed passion to translate into a renewed desire to be obedient to our Creator. 
You know, when we think about revival, when we get all said and done with revival, our, our thoughts should not be, wow, that was fun, now back to normal. But on the contrary, we should end revival and say, I can't wait to see what God is going to do next. And so that leaves us with a particular question today, and it is the question that we see at the top of our uh, sermon today and one that we need to think about, and it is this, what are we waiting for? Or maybe even just to also ask, where do we go from here? I would venture that that was the same question that the apostles had as we read our text this morning. See, Jesus is at that point where, where He has been resurrected, where it seems like He has had the ultimate victory. If we think about through the whole ministry of Jesus, Jesus has preached to the masses. He has gone from village to village. He has done the Sermon on the Mount. He has preached in the, the temple complex. He has, he has made the gospel known throughout all of this. He has been betrayed by one of his own. He has been condemned to die, crucified by the Romans, buried by Joseph of Arimathea, and resurrected on the third day. His disciples were spending time with him and learning from him. And, and over the course of, as it says, 40 days, he just kept showing up in different ways and at different times. And every time he had something that they needed to know and something that they needed to hear before ultimately we get to Acts chapter 1. And I'm sure through all of the learning and all of the speaking and all of the, the time that they have spent with Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, they had to be wondering, what comes next? But see, Jesus was not preparing them for what He was going to do next. On the contrary, Jesus was preparing them for what they were going to do next. And his words in our passage today ought to speak to us as we come out of our revival services about what we are to do next and what we are, are going to accomplish next and, and really what are we waiting for. And so today from our text, I want to present to you something we need to know and something we do not need to know and something we need to do and something we do not need to do. So let's begin with what we need to know. See, our passage begins with these words. It says, to, to these, the apostles, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom. This is verse 3. So there are two things that as Jesus was working with them and Jesus was talking to them over those 40 days, there were two things that he was being diligent to communicate to his apostles and to his followers. The first of those two things was that he was actually alive. They had to understand that. And we're going to dive into that. The second thing being that they had to understand what his message was so that they could take it on. Let's talk about this whole Jesus is alive stuff. If there's anything that we absolutely must take away from our revival services, it is the exact same thing that the apostles had to take away from Jesus in the resurrection, and that is that we serve a risen Savior who is in the world today. 
We do not serve a God who is far off. We have not put our faith in a Jesus who is still dead and buried. But rather, we believe we have placed our faith in Jesus who is raised from the dead and even now is alive, seated at the right hand of his father. This I'm loving the amens. That's, I can already tell revival's done some good up in this place. Let's keep this going. Y'all keep. Well, never mind. I don't want to scare you. I said, if you keep it up, I'll just keep preaching, and then you will never say it again. Um, this might seem obvious to us. I'm sure that that there's probably to a degree all of us say, well, this is elementary. Of course, we should know this. Maybe you're even thinking, well, duh, pastor. That's why I'm a Christian to begin with. And yet we pass over this so easily. As we go through our daily life, I often think about that statement as, as kind of like that interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler. And if you remember, the rich young ruler goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns to him and he, and he says, he says, keep the commandments. And he goes through a couple of the commandments and he says, you just this is all you have to do. Keep these commandments. And he's testing the, the rich young ruler. Because in reality, if the rich young ruler really took seriously the commandments it, that we find in the Ten Commandments, he would have been like, eh, Jesus, small problem with that. I, I don't really, I've already broken some of those commandments. I already have a problem here because I've already messed up on these commandments. But instead, the rich young ruler goes to Jesus and he says, he says, follow these commandments. And the rich young ruler goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've done that since I was a kid. What, what else do I need? What else? That, that, are you talking about commandments? I'm good on commandments. I've done the commandments. I practically wrote the commandments. So I'm good on that. What else? What else is still there? And the reality was, is he wasn't good on the commandments. He just wasn't taking the time to really think about them. I think we do that with the resurrection a lot. We take the resurrection for granted. We kind of think that, well, that's something, that's like, that's kid stuff. That's Easter eggs and, and, and colored pictures. And that's the stuff we learn when we're a child. And we, I, I need, I need the stuff past that. And so we gloss over and we, we skim over the resurrection accounts and we skim over the reality that Jesus is alive. And through faith, he has made us alive as well. To give you what I mean, Paul talked about the resurrection and he didn't talk about it in kids terms, but rather he said this in Ephesians chapter two, he said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but you were in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved. See, for Paul, it wasn't that the resurrection was just some really good kid story that we learn and that, that kind of we, we, we start off but we move past from. He's saying, listen, everything that we are is because Jesus is alive. 
He said, if Jesus isn't alive, we are dead in our sins. If Jesus is not alive, we are still children of wrath. If Jesus is still alive, we are still enslaved to our sinful nature and our flesh and the lusts of that, that come with this world. If Jesus is not alive, we are still under the rule of Satan and the enemy who controls this fallen world. But Jesus is alive. And so we are alive because of Him. We cannot look past this to other things. Jesus lived and died and was raised from the grave for you and for me. That we might know the Father's love through Him. Everything about everything in Christianity hangs on the fact that Jesus is alive. And I want to challenge you today, if there's anything that we take with us into Tunnel Hill Baptist Church post-engage revival, it is that we can say with confidence that Jesus is alive. This reality brings us into the second thing, that Jesus wanted to make sure they understood the message of the resurrection. This is what he meant when he said things concerning the kingdom of God. We get this from the Gospels and, and even from other Gospels. We can go to the Gospel of, Mar- Gospel of Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, and we read these words. It says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the Gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. The kingdom message was the gospel message that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever so and whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There was a message that Jesus wanted the apostles to communicate. It is the message tied up in the kingdom of God, and it is the very message that we call today the gospel. And now nowhere in Scripture are those two things separated. If we look at Mark chapter 1, we recognize that the good news of the gospel, that the gospel of God is the message of the kingdom of God, and it comes with repentance and belief. Now that ought to sound familiar by a couple of circles that we put up on the board, doesn't it? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came. And that He lived a perfect life and He died on the cross for our sins and He rose from the grave three days later. And that if we believe that Jesus is exactly who He said He is and we confess Him as Lord, repenting from our sins and the ways of this world, that we will be saved. We can talk about a lot of things in church, can't we? We can talk about this issue and that issue. We can talk about all the things that we should be doing that we're not, that we're not doing. We can talk about music. We can talk about politics. We can talk about all sorts of things in the, in the church. But brothers and sisters, our message is the message of the gospel. And here's what that means. You need to know the gospel. If I were to ask you on the spot, What is the gospel? Let's say I was a lost person and I'm that lost person that's in your nursing class or works with you or is just some random person that just happened to notice your Bible sitting on the table at the restaurant you're at and they've said, well, what is that all about? Could you tell them? 
Amen? Amen. Could you tell them? Or would you go, uh, uh, well, this just, uh, you know, it's about God and, uh, you know, that He loves us and, and stuff. As we walk out of this, this revival services, as we walk into this next chapter in the life of Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, there's two things you need to know. Is that Jesus is alive. And you need to know the good news of the gospel. You need to know it for yourself, right? You need to know what the good news of the gospel is because your life hangs in the balance of that good news. But you also have a world that needs to know it too. And as we say all the time, you can't give what you don't have. And if you don't know the gospel, you can't share the gospel. So this leads us to what we don't need to know. So if we remember in our passage, Jesus has, has been there 40 days. He's teaching them. He's showing up and, and on roads to Emmaus and by, by the Sea of Galilee. And he's doing all this stuff. And finally, as we're getting into the last day of Jesus' post-resurrection ministry before we start to move into the age of the church, and the disciples have been learning and hearing and, and getting the message and, 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 being, and being convinced that he was dead, but now he's alive. And then they ask him this question found in verse 6. Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And I'll tell you what, this is an innocent question. They are experiencing something that they have never experienced before. How many people in this room have ever, you know, got to hang out with a guy that was dead for three days? Anybody? I've known some people that were pretty sick, but they were still alive. My grandfather coded from a heart attack when I was a little boy and lived to be about, about 10 years after that, but he was only gone for just a, an instant. But they've been hanging out with Jesus who they saw crucified. And they saw buried, and yet he is alive. And finally, they're like, Jesus, is it now? Is now, like after you've taught us all this stuff, after you've done all this stuff, is now the time where you just set it right and fix it all? See, Jesus wanted them to know that he was alive, and he wanted them to know the message and the importance of the gospel, but that they wanted to know as if he was going to fix everything. And he responded this way in verse 7. He said, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. This should be a reminder to us that we don't need to know all the details to move forward. We know that Jesus is alive. We know the gospel message is true. But we don't need to know every detail of every step in order for us to take the next step. You know, i got to be honest with you. There are just too many people in the world today that claim to be Christians but are doing nothing for the kingdom. And that's a problem. And I, and I think that there's a, a reason for that. And I think a lot of people have a lot of reasons why they're sitting on the sidelines. And I'm not being judgmental. 
I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying I'm a bad person. I'm just what I'm saying. I mean, we are because we're all sinners. But what I am saying is we need to we need to have faith. And I think that one of the reasons why a lot of people ultimately do nothing for the kingdom and they they sit on the sidelines is because they are waiting for God to tell them everything before they take the next step. And they want to know, they say, okay, God, I'll do what you tell me to do. But they're saying, but you got to tell me what to do. And I need to know what I'm supposed to do, when I'm supposed to do it, where I'm supposed to do it, how I'm supposed to start it, what it's going to look like, who's going to show up, who's going to help me, where's the money coming from, who's going to support me, how's it going to come up, how will they spell my name in the history books. I need to know everything until before I take that first step. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying, no, you don't. See, they wanted what they really wanted is they wanted Jesus to do everything for them right now. And what Jesus said is, you're not getting everything. But you do need to go do what I've told you to do. The reality is, is if we wait for all of the answers before we take one step, first of all, that's not faith at all. And second of all, we'll never get there. It will never happen. Because you will always have one more question. You know, we look at people like um, Moses, and we look at people like Gideon, and oftentimes when we read their stories, we like stand in awe because they've got like a burning bush or an angel of the Lord talking to them directly, and they're still like, but hold on a second. Okay, God, burning bush person. Let's say I do what you say. Let's say I go back to Israel or back to Egypt. Uh, by the way, wanted murderer, just in case you didn't know that already, God got a rep. And I get there and they say, oh, yeah, well, what's God's name? What do I say? And he tells them, then they go, OK, but another, another thing, like, I, I kind of got a lisp. Not very good. I'm kind of slow of tongue. I kind of stutter a little bit. What are you going to do about that? And we look at that and we go, what are you doing? Stop asking God questions and just do what he told you to do. And then we look at Gideon and Gideon, they say, hey, you know, you're, you're going to be a great mighty warrior of God. And he says, how, how can that be? There's no way. And he's like, well, it is. And they're like, well, let me, let me lay out a fleece. And if you could make it wet and nothing else wet, I'll believe you. So he does it and he goes, okay, but now for the real check. Now do the opposite. Now make it dry and everything else wet. Like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm sitting there going, step back. Because that seems dumb. And yet, we're worse. We see a need. We see a burden on our heart. We look at a, a group of people or a place or our, our job or, or a place in the church. When we think, man, this church is really dropping the ball on this area of ministry. And somebody somewhere really needs to do something about that. And God says, why not you? And we go, oh, Lord, I don't even know where to start. Who do it with me? You know, what's worse is then we go, not me. That needs to be someone else. Someone better trained, someone with more hair, someone better looking, someone that, that, that can read Greek. 
So at least Gideon got up and went. At least Moses went back to Egypt. We just sit. And we wonder why we don't see God move. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, and you should know it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. If God has put something in your path, if God has led you to see something that maybe no one else is seeing, trust him. Don't start asking, how am I going to do it? Where is the time? How am I going to pay for it? Who will do it with me? What happens if I fail? Just say, God, I see this need and I'm lifting it up to you. Use me to meet this need in someone's life. This takes us to what we need to do. I feel like what we need to do is found in the Great Commission in verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Again, we have two things here that that God is telling us through the, the book of Acts that we need to do. The first thing that we need to do is receive the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting that he says, listen, I need you to stay put until you receive the Holy Spirit, but you will receive the Holy Spirit when it comes. And so we kind of have this this really neat moment here where he's saying, listen, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. That's something that you need to receive. We don't really get to actively like reach out and grab that. It was something that had to be given to us. But they did have to wait. And while I'm not telling you to wait today, in fact, I'm going to be telling you the opposite. I do think it's important for us to remember that God does not want us just going off on our own power and our own strength. And I'll be honest with you. I think we in the American church today and maybe in just these churches, you know, maybe even in our church to a degree is we are horrible about trying to do everything within our own strength and within our own power. We want to make sure the money is there before we set out to do something. We want to make sure that the people are there before we set out to do something. We want to make sure that that we have everything we need before we try to do anything new and we struggle. I'm not saying we don't do it, but we struggle to say, I'm going to trust God on this one. And if God is in it, the money will be there. And if God is in it, the people will be there. And if God is in it, the talent will be there. And if God is in it, the results will be there. We struggle with that. And yet we need to receive the Holy Spirit and be empowered that God is moving in us and through this. Peter is such a prime example of this when we think about this. I want to go to Acts chapter 2. After the receiving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we read these words beginning in verse 37. Now, when they heard the gospel, this, it says, when they heard this, which is the gospel message, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. 
When we ask the question, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? We see it answered in Paul's words when he says, believe. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for us to receive the Holy Spirit, we must believe the good news of the gospel, confessing Jesus is Lord. If you have not done that yet and you are in this room, that's where it starts for you. That's where it has to begin, is by saying, I believe. And I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And so what do we need to do? The first thing we need to do is we need to receive the Holy Spirit through belief and repentance and and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we are called to be His witness. Looking again at verse 8, it says, And you shall be my witnesses. We could ask the question, question, witnesses of what? And the answer could be His resurrection, the truth of the message of the kingdom of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that everything that the Bible says about Jesus is true. In the gospel account and in the book of Acts, Jesus commands his followers to go and proclaim the good news to everyone. I want you to think about that for just a second. Every single gospel and the book of Acts tells those who are followers of Jesus to go make him known. Everyone. That means we don't get a pass. That that means that that this, this whole great commission thing that we talk about, that is not for other people. That is not for the, the evangelists. That is not for the pastors. That's not for the really, really faithful people or the people on staff. That is for everyone. And every time, five out of five, that Jesus is talking to his people at the end, the resurrected Jesus, five times out of five, he says, now go tell other people about me. When we think about what we must do and where we go from here as a church and and what are the actions that we need to be taking, it is not more communion services. It is not more revival services. It's not even necessarily more Bible studies and home groups and and all of those type of things. When we think about what we are called to do as the church moving forward, the number one thing in our hearts, in our minds, and in our mouths should be the Great Commission. As Matthew 28 says, to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus' words about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the world should be a reminder to us that there is absolutely no limitation on where the gospel can and should go. The gospel goes to the factory. The gospel goes to the military base the gospel goes to the community college the gospel goes to indiana and ohio it goes to brazil it goes to poland goes to scotland it goes everywhere that leaves us with the question if it's not going to be us then who's going to go 
See, because when we talk about the Great Commission, so often we want to say, well, that's for other people. That's for older people. That's for retired people. That's for pastors. That's for this. That's for that. But no, it's for us. And if you try to delegate that on to someone else, what's going to prevent them from delegating it to someone else as well? My favorite president came from the great state of Missouri. And he had a sign on his desk that says the buck stops here. When it comes to the Great Commission, are we willing to say the same thing? Finally, we need to know what we don't need to do. And I think we find this in verses 10 and 11. It says, And as they were gazing intently into the sky, as he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and and they said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who, you, who has been taken up from you into the heavens will come to you in the same way that you have watched him go into heaven. We have to ask the question, what were the disciples doing after Jesus ascended into heaven? And the answer is they just stood there. Now, I want to give them a pass. Because I would like to think that if I watched a person that I had seen resurrected from the dead, someone who is in a glorified body, suddenly just fly up into the air and disappear behind the clouds, I'm probably going to stare for a while. (laughs) That's a good amen. I like that. Um, I'm probably going to just stare in awe. And I don't know if they waited too long or I don't know if God just wanted to make a point into those angels, but that those two angels, those two men in that white clothing finally turned and said, What you looking at? He'll come back. But not today. See, a lot of times. When we see God do great things, and I believe that God did some great things this last week. When we see God do great things, there is a temptation on our part to wait for him to do something again. And when we we hear the gospel message and we hear God moving in all of those ways, and and there's a temptation on our part to say, okay, that's over. Now I'm just going to chill for a little bit, coast just a little bit, and then I'll wait for God to do something else. And even if we know God's telling us to do something, to give our lives to him, to to surrender to to some sort of ministry call, to do something, we're like, yeah, but I'm going to wait for the right time. I'm going to wait till my job's a little bit more secure. I'm going to wait till I've got some more money in my savings account. I'm going to wait till my kids get through school. I'm going to wait until um, I get my my personal life kind of set up. I'm going to wait till till we kind of get everything. I'm hitting stuff over here. I'm going to wait until, you know, the church kind of gets all their ducks in a row and this way and this way and this way. I'm going to wait till blank and then I'm going to do something. And so we just stand there. Staring up in the clouds, waiting for something to happen. But that's not what God called him to do. And that's not what the angels were reminding them of. See, what we do not need to do right now is wait. Wait for the next big moment. 
wait for the next big epiphany, wait for everything to all come together, for the planets to align and the stars to shine in the east. We do not need to wait for all these things. But I would say this, if God has done something in your life this week, and I hope he has, has regardless of whether you are in, or in revival services or not, now is the time to start talking about it to tell people about what God has done and how God has spoken to you, to, to let people know what's going on in your life while it is fresh and exciting to be a witness and through your life about all that God is and has done through Christ Jesus. See, if you wait, you're going to wait to a point that you'll feel like it's too late. How many, of, how many people here have ever had wanted to contribute to a conversation? Your friends are talking, everybody's talking, and you're like, ooh, ooh, I got a great story that I want to, I want to interject in this time. And then you're kind of waiting to be polite, and then the conversation passes you by, and they don't get to hear your story. I know there's loud people that that never happens, that they immediately <laughs> tell people their story. But for a lot of us, at some point, we've been like, And you kind of feel like you've missed it, didn't you? Like I had something really great to contribute to the conversation and I missed it. Don't do that with the gospel. You have something really great to share people. You have something so great that its name is good news. Think about that for a second. You have something so great that its name is good news. Don't let the opportunities pass you by. Speak up. Be loud. Be as loud as you can be. But share this good news. Put yourself out there a little bit. Don't wait. Because you may find that in waiting that the opportunities that God is setting up for you to be a witness for Him may just pass you by. I want to leave you with another one of those, God, those great commission accounts, and it's my favorite one, and it's one that you have heard many times here as we have closed up our services, and it's found in John chapter 20, verse 21. And in the midst of this verse, Jesus says this, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. No what you need to know. Don't worry about what you don't need to know. Do what God is calling you to do. And don't wait. Because if we wait, it might just be too late. If you are with us this morning and, and you, are, you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, maybe you are here and, and, and you've heard the gospel message, but you've not really received the gospel message. You've not really given your life to Jesus. You've not responded in this way. We like to present the gospel a certain way. Are we able to bring that up? Good. Is that a thumbs up? Okay, all I see is your silhouette, so I'm going to trust you. And what, the way we like to communicate the gospel here at Tunnel Hill Baptist Church is that first and foremost, we believe that God has a design. That God has made everything on purpose with a purpose, and that includes you. And to be honest, if we could just do what God wanted us to do 100% of the time, we would be golden and we would get to live in His grace and favor and everything would be wonderful, but we don't. And none of us do, and all of us go our own way, all of us do our own thing, and when we leave God's design to create our own design, that's called sin. 
And as the old saying goes, and, and Carl and Luann will remember, that, remember this, because this is where I got, I got it from back in my midway days, that sin is doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And when we sin and we depart from God's design to create our own design, that always leads us to a place of brokenness. Just like anything else in this world, if you use it in the way it was not intended, it is going to break. If I use my iPad as a Frisbee, it is going to break. My son tried to use an old action figure that I had from when I was a little kid as a hand grenade, and guess what? It doesn't have any legs anymore. When we try to do, when we try to be, when we try to do what God has not intended for us to be and do, we find ourselves in a place of brokenness, and we know what that is. When we feel like we are not who we are supposed to be, that we are not living how we are supposed to live, when we feel that things just aren't right inside of us, that's sin and that's that brokenness. We feel that because the wages of sin is death and no matter how much we try to fix it, that's what those squiggly lines mean, no matter how much we try to fix it on our own by trying to be do better, by doing the religious stuff, by, by passing it on to our kids, whatever it might be, we recognize that we cannot fix our brokenness from our brokenness. And so we need something outside of our brokenness to step in and that's what the gospel is. And you've heard the gospel message already today. The gospel message is that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins. And that in doing so, all of our guilt and all of our shame because of our sin was put on Jesus. And Jesus gave us his righteousness. And he did that by being raised from the grave three days later so that we could have new life in him. And the Bible says it this way. The Bible says that if we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe the gospel that we can be saved and we can be delivered from our brokenness. Specifically, Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And so we believe that there really is a resurrected Jesus and that everything the Bible says about him is true. And not only do we believe that, but we turn away from sin and we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and we make him the Lord of our life and we begin following him. And the Bible says that if we will repent and believe, then, then, we, then we can begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. And that's what we offer for you today. If you are with us today, maybe you've been to our revival services, maybe you haven't. Maybe you're ready to, to start a new chapter in your life and you recognize that sin is still there and that if you were to look at this picture, you would say, I'm still in that broken place because I'm not, I'm definitely not perfect. I'm definitely not living perfectly to God's design, but I haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I haven't received the gospel. I haven't believed the gospel yet and I need to do that. We would ask you today, what on earth is stopping you? And that we would plead with you today, give your life to Jesus. And allow that first two things that you need to know to become true in your life today. Now, I'm going to come up front here in just a few minutes and we're going to have prayer and Joe's going to sing a song. And if you're ready to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, we would invite you to do that today. For some of us today, it is now time to actually put into practice what God has called us to do through revival services or even just through today. And maybe just maybe you just need someone to pray with you. 
You just need to come up to these steps and pray. Maybe you need to talk with somebody about what it means to, to, to start a ministry or to be faithful to the Great Commission or to just deepen your walk. Again, I'm going to be standing right here, but I want to let you know that regardless of who you are, you don't have to come up here to make these kind of decisions because you are probably with someone right now. Someone brought you here that can have that conversation with you. We just want to know about it because we want to know how God is speaking to you. We want to know what God is telling you to do. And so however the Lord is, in, is, is moving you or inviting you to respond today, we do invite you to respond. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for the great commission call that we see in Acts chapter 1. Lord, when we begin to ask the question, where do we go from here? What happens next? Lord, we praise you that we can look at, at Acts chapter 1 and see what you told the, the apostles, what you told your followers to do next. And it was to know you, to know that you, were, that you had risen from the grave, and then to go and make you known. Father God, I pray that we will be a church that does that. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that needs to put their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that Lord, today would be the day they do that. That they would take that first thing, that what they need to know, that Jesus is alive and that the gospel is, is good news. And Lord, I pray that they would know that today and that they would surrender themselves to that today. Father God, for, for those of us that do know that, Lord, I pray that we would not allow ourselves to get bogged down with, with all the details or waiting for the perfect time, but Lord, I pray that we would respond faithfully and that we would go in the power of the Holy Spirit and make you known. And Lord, that means known among the nations, but Lord, that means known on our streets. And God, that through that we would see Hardin County transformed by the power of the gospel. God, we know that you are working. And God, we pray that you would continue to work in us and through us for your namesake. Not for Tunnel Hill, not for Pastor Josh, but for you. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Number two.